30 scriptures, 30 days. Today, we have arrived at scripture number 19 on day number 19, and we begin right now. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Theology Central Podcast. It is Friday, July the 1st, 2022. It is currently 4.21 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from Abilene, Texas. I want you to listen carefully. I want you to think about this question, and I want you to try to answer it. What... Can you not live without? What can you not live without? That if you were to lose it, you would not be able to live. What could you not live without? I really want you to think about that, okay? I really, what could you not live without? Now, 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 listen, wait, wait, wait. Don't, don't give me church answers, okay? If you know anything about me, you know I cannot stand church answers. Because if you were to ask that question in church, someone would say, I couldn't live without the Bible, or I couldn't live without Jesus, or I couldn't live without the church. And they would throw that out there. And, and maybe they truly believe that, but I think reality would demonstrate that they probably can live, they could probably do very well in their life without church and without the Bible, because it's probably not even that important to them Anyway, so sometimes we, when we're in certain settings as Christians, we just immediately, well, we can't even stop ourselves. We're asked a question and boom, the church answer comes pouring out. It, it, it doesn't matter. What, it's like, whatever the question is, we, we just say Jesus. We just say the Bible. We just say God. It's almost like we take those things that we take those things, the, the name of those things in vain because we're using it in such a frivolous and meaningless way. And what I mean by that, and we're just throwing it out because we think that's just what we're supposed to say, and 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 so I, I I can't stand that. So I need you to set aside the church answer, the the just the fake spiritual answer. What can you not live without? What would utterly devastate you if you lost it? What would absolutely just devastate you if you lost it? I mean, you would fall apart. You would you would just crumble. Without, without that ver- that thing, or what? What is it? What is that thing? What? What is? It? Is it a person, a relationship, a material possession? What is it that if you were to lose it, it would absolutely devastate you? Now, I think it's an interesting question. We we could we could explore the question. We could explore different answers to it. We could explore maybe why we have such an attachment to the thing. We could ask if the attachment and us holding on to it that way, is it right? Has it become a form of idolatry? There's lots of theological ways we could explore that, but we're just going to place that there and we're gonna connect, we're gonna, we're gonna contrast that question and your possible answer. Well, with the principle that I have in front of us today. Now, 
If you're new, welcome. 30 Scriptures in 30 Days. That is the series. You're listening to Scripture number 19 for day number 19. This is how it all started. Charles Stanley, many years ago, wrote a book called 30 Life Principles. That book became a Bible called the Life Principle Bible. These books, study guides, all the things that were produced were used in churches, Sunday school, small groups. And I I can't say that it was, you know, it, it reached some level of massive importance, but it had at least some level of influence. I stumbled across the books many years ago and was always just perplexed and confused because Charles Stanley would give me these principles and then he would give a scripture supposedly from where he got the principle and I could never see the correlation. I'm like, I I, I think I understand the principle, but I don't see how it came from that scripture. And there was always this weird disconnect. So I spent it felt like years of my life trying to connect them to no avail and getting frustrated. So I finally came to this conclusion. This is the conclusion I finally came to. That Charles Stanley came up with the principles and then tried to impose them on random text, uh, random scriptures, random text in the Bible. Now, I, I'm not saying that, that he, I'm not saying he confessed that or would, would, would even admit that, but when you look at the when you look at the principles and the scriptures, you, I, I think you would agree that there's just a weird disconnect. So this is what we've been doing. I've been giving you the principles. We're considering them briefly, then setting them aside, then we're just looking at the scripture and then trying to determine without any, no thought of the the principle that Charles Stanley gave. We set that aside. We look at the scripture and go, what principles do we think can arise from these scriptures? Some of them we found, we have found far better principles than Charles Stanley suggested. And I think the principles we came up with were far more biblical and actually came from the text. But as we keep advancing, he keeps choosing more texts that just seem, they seem so random, so out of place that we, I, I don't know about you, and some of these, I, well, we've not even been able to come up with any principles, right? We've not really said, you look at the scripture given and it's been very difficult to go, oh, here's some principles because we're like, I, I, what do we even do with that text? Should we even try to take a principle from that text? What does it even mean? What is the context? Like we've been left with all kinds of questions and I'm fearful that today we're getting ready to have a major problem. Now, I warned everyone way back on day one, day two, day three, that at some point, this this kind of exercise of looking at these 30 random scriptures, and remember, I'm doing this with no prep. The whole whole goal of this is for me just to turn on the microphone, open up the book, 30, uh, 30 Life Principles, go to the next day and go, oh, okay, Let's look at the scripture together in real time and then me try to figure it out in real time. And the reason I'm doing that is it's trying to motivate you as you're listening going, oh, no, 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 you got it wrong. It's this, it's that, wait, you're missing this. Because even though you you may not, even though you may not even want to do that, if I can, if I can do this in such a way that it kind of just makes that happen naturally, then I've moved you from a passive listener to an active participant And whether you think that's a good thing, I think it's an excellent thing. So that's one of the reasons we're doing it this way. And it's just just trying to make it fun. And hopefully it makes it interesting for you watching me. Like, you're not watching me. You're listening to me in a sense. You can hear my struggle and hear me. And you're seeing that, is he going to pull, is he going to pull this off? Is this going to be a train wreck? I'm fearful that today is getting ready to be the train wreck. And I think we've avoided quite a few, but I think we're getting to, the scriptures seem to get more random, more disconnected from the principles as we move on. Now, we've made it to day 19. I didn't think we would make it this far. I really thought this entire series would have just kind of imploded in on itself and just fell apart, and I would not be able to complete it. Well, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying we're going to make it to 30. I'm doing everything in my power but I, I'm just, I'm surprised that we've made it to day 19. For those of you who have been listening and have been participating, you're part of the reason you've encouraged me to keep going. Hopefully we can finish this. Hopefully we can finish this. I don't know once all 30 are done and then you can go to say the Church One app or the Sermons 2.0 app and you can find all 30. I don't know if they will ever be of any value to anyone after this study But maybe one day someone will stumble upon them and find it interesting and it will be beneficial. Who knows? But they're all going to be 
right there. And of course, on any other podcasting app, wherever you get your podcast, they're just not as organized, as nice as, as it would be, say, on the Church One app, all right? But are you ready? Yeah, I'm delaying a little bit. I'm delaying. I'm going to take a drink of water, okay? I am going to mute the mic so you don't have to listen to me drink. All right. All right. Oh boy, I'm getting I'm just I'm getting nervous. I'm getting nervous. I just I just know that I, this one is going to go somewhat bad. And the reason I now well, before before we go back to this, I know what you're thinking. Wait a minute, you asked me that important question about what can I not live without? You'll see why. Because in this particular case, I I knew the principle that we were getting ready to look at. I I knew the principle. I haven't looked at the, at the scripture, but I knew the principle, and so I wanted to go go ahead and throw out that question: What can you not live without? Because Charles Stanley has a very specific principle that relates to that question. Here is the principle as given by Charles Stanley in his book Thirty Life Principles for Life Principle Number Nineteen. Are you ready? Here we go. Anything you hold to tightly, you will lose. Whoa. Anything you hold too tightly, you will lose. Now, the reason I ask this question, what can you not live without? I'm assuming whatever that thing is that you think you cannot live without, I have a feeling you hold onto it tightly. I have a feeling that you grab onto it either emotionally, mentally, you grab onto it and you hold onto it tightly. According to Charles Stanley, anything. Now, these he states these principles sometimes in very dogmatic ways. Like, like it's almost like it's an absolute transcendent truth, which is sometimes a little troubling in my mind. But according to him, anything you hold onto tightly, you're going to lose. Now, do you... First of all, I mean, we, we again, we could just we could just spend some hours talking about this principle. Do you believe that's true? All right, so so if I hold on to anything too tightly, I'm going to lose it. I'm going to lose it. All right, all right, man. I'm holding on. Maybe you truly love your child, and you don't think you could live without it. Okay, well, don't hold on to the child too tightly. Like, what does it mean too tightly? Like, I mean, th- these some of these principles are extremely vague. And we've got to do a lot of trying to figure out exa- what does he mean? Now, what's it? Not only are sometimes the principles difficult to figure out, what is even more confusing is the random passages of scripture from which he supposedly gets the principles. And that is, is the thing that baffles me. So, what can you not live without? According to Charles Stanley, whatever that thing is, if you're holding on to it too tightly, whatever that is, I don't know how we measure too tightly. He makes it as a dogmatic assertion, you're going to lose it. You're going to lose it. Now, when you make principles like this, you just got to think of all the ramifications. So if someone's ever lost something, they lost their house in a flood. They lost their house in a wildfire. They lost their child in a school shooting or whatever. Well, you were holding on to it too tightly. Is is that is that, is that the 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 claim you're making? I mean, like there there are so many times, even as preachers, we throw out a principle, we throw out an idea that may sound good, and everyone may amen it and write it down. But I I, I know I've been guilty of it. And I've heard it happen in many sermons. Sometimes I don't think that we consider all the possible implications of what we are saying. And then when someone confronts us, well, well, I didn't really mean that. Well, that's why we got to really think about what we say to ensure that we have, we've considered all the possible implications. To say anything you hold on too tightly, you're going to lose, then you're, you're saying, so Job lost everything because he was holding on it too tightly? Well, then you'd have to say, well, no, 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 no. You could lose something and not be holding on to it too tightly. Well, then you can't dogmatically say that if you do hold on to too, something too tightly, you're going to lose it because you've got examples of people losing things who weren't holding on to things too tightly. So exactly how does this principle supposed to work? How are we supposed to interpret it? I don't know. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to set it aside. Now, I have a feeling 
that this is going to be one that we're going to set aside, but we're going to have to reach over and grab it in just a minute because I have a feeling this scripture is going to be of no value here. All right. So what we may have to do is bring the principle back over and we may have to use the book that I have right here next to me to at least work through some of it to see if we can find something of value in this particular study. So are you ready? Amos, the the scripture he gives us is Amos chapter 6, verses 6 through 7. Once again, he he continues to pull all of the scriptures that supposedly these principles come from, from very random. At times, it feels like very obscure parts of the Old Testament, and you're kind of like, why are you going there? But okay, Amos chapter 6. Amos chapter 6. So let me find the book of Amos. Amos chapter 6. I don't know what comes to your mind when you when you hear uh, the minor prophet book of Amos mentioned. I don't know how much you know about it, but we'll, we'll, we'll offer a little background, see if we can do anything with this. Amos chapter 6, oh boy, verse 6, all right? Amos chapter 6, verses 6 through 7. Now, the more I look at this, the more confusing I get. Okay, this, this oh wait. Does all of them start? I'm going to try a different translation. Okay, I'm going to go. I'm going to go with uh, this translation. Amos chapter six, verse six, because in the King James it begins with that. I'm going to go with uh, Amos chapter six, verse six, in this translation. They drink wine by the bowlful, and anoint themselves with the finest oils, but do not grieve over the ruin of Joseph. Therefore, they will now go into exile as the first of the captives, and the feasting of those who sprawl out will come to an end. (laughs) Wow. Okay. All right. Now, a couple of things. First, as you see the scriptures, just, I mean, he, he pulls two random scriptures from right in the middle of a chapter where you've got so much going on, right? So this seems to be pointing to kind of a prophecy of something that's going to happen to, we'll just, right now, we won't try to identify anything, to some individuals. And these individuals, they drink wine by the bowlful. In other words, they have plenty, they have excess. Uh, They anoint themselves with the finest oils, but they do not grieve over the ruin of Joseph. So whoever these individuals are, they have plenty, they have excess, but they do not grieve over the exile of Joseph or the ruin of Joseph. Therefore, because of this, they're going to go into exile as the first captives, and the feasting of those who sprawl out will come to an end. So it seems to be there's certain individuals who have lots, they have plenty, they they have excess, but it's all they're going to lose it all it's it's going to come to an end so i guess based off the principle what he is claiming is that these individuals were holding on to this excess too tightly therefore they're going to lose it but does the text say that they're going to lose it because they're holding on to it too tightly like like i know you're like i need context i understand that just just based off the reading of the text let me read it to you again they drink wine by the bowlful. They anoint themselves with the finest oils, but they do not grieve over the ruin of Joseph. Next word, therefore, they will go into exile. What, what's happening to them by going into exile? What's happening to them? Is it going to happen because they're holding on to something too tightly? Or is it going to happen to them because they do not grieve over the ruin of Joseph? I'm going to try it from the King James. Amos chapter 6, verse 6. They chant to the sound, oh no, no, verse 5, I'm sorry. Amos chapter 6, verse, Amos chapter 6, verse 6, I apologize. That drink wine in bowls and anoint themselves with the chief of ointments, but they are not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. Therefore now shall they go captive with the first that go captive and the banquet of them that stretch themselves shall be removed. This doesn't say it. This Literally, these verses say nothing that you're going to lose something that you're holding on to tightly. These verses say that those individuals 
are going to lose something as a result of them not grieving the affliction of Joseph. That's literally what the verse says. That's what it says. But here we have a very, again, very popular Christian book, publication. It's become a Bible, the Life Principles Bible, literally giving me a principle that's not based. Now, look, the text that they give does not support this principle in any way, shape, or form. Does not support it in any way, shape, or form. And and, and so this, or firm, if I said form, okay, in any way, shape, or form, or for, any way, shape, or form, okay, if I can say it correctly. And you have to ask yourself, well, so who was the editor? Did the did no one in the editing process go, hey, Charles Stanley, um, that scripture? It doesn't say they lost it because they're holding it to anything too tightly. It doesn't say that in any way, shape, or form. It does not say that. It doesn't say that. So why? So do you think you should change it? Didn't you have Charles Stanley himself? Did he not realize the scripture does not say any way, shape, or for, form? Form? Okay. What? Did, what? Did what? Why did he not come up with this? I, I guess what I'm doing. I, I'm I'm obviously struggling, but I'm struggling on purpose. I'm struggling on purpose because if I, I'm trying to demonstrate to you, if I can't come up with how to say some simple words, right? Well, I'm trying to demonstrate that's what it appears Charles Stanley was doing. He, could, he, had, he had a principle and he could not find simple scripture to support it. So he just grabs onto something random that it's almost like he was struggling to find scripture to support his principle. It looks like he was like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I'll just go with Amos six. I mean, like, why, why would you go there? Like, I wish I could have been there in the process. No one, no one in editing was like, "Ah, sir, um, it doesn't say that. Or I wish I could have, it could have been there before anyone else talked to Charles Stanley and Charles Stanley could have been like, well, the reason I'm choosing this scripture is because of, and, and he could give his justification or explanation, but it would to me, whatever explanation he tried to offer, it would sound like, well, me struggling over saying, well, it doesn't say that in any way, shape, or form. It, it, the way I'm struggling over that, he, he would have had to been struggling. Wouldn't he have had to been struggling? I mean, don't you think there had to be some struggle going, well, I don't know if that really works. Oh, okay. Let me, what do I do? What do I do? I, I, it, you would think there would have been some kind of like internal conflict with placing this here but here it is. And I don't know what we do with it. What, what, what are we even supposed to do with this? What, what do we, I mean, let's just read this again. Amos chapter six, verses six through seven. That drink wine in bowls. They anoint themselves with the chief ointments, but they are not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. Therefore, I mean, the text gives us what's happening because they do not grieve for the affliction of Joseph. They're going to go captive with the first that go captive and the banquet of them that stretch themselves shall be removed. The reason they're going to lose something is not because they're holding on to it too tightly. It's because they did not grieve over the affliction of Joseph. Now, if I try to rip that out of some kind of context and apply it to me, I got to do a lot of work. I, what I should do is just say, all right, ladies and gentlemen, on day 19, we have no principle. We have nothing we can do here. We have nothing because, because this, 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 see, this is where the book, I mean, there's lots of examples of it, but this is an example of where, why I have always found that the, the, the connection here does not work. Let's just do a little bit of reading and see what Charles Stanley has to say. Okay, in the book or in the study guide that provide a little bit of historical context, which I do appreciate, Amos was a shepherd and farmer in Judah who warned Israel about God's coming judgment, 760 BC to 750 BC. King Jeroboam II had expanded Israel's territory and wealth but the prosperity corrupted the people and they became even more immoral and idolatrous. So there was great prosperity 
within that great prosperity, they became immoral and idolatrous. It seems they came, it appears, again, we're just grabbing the verse, ripping it out of any context. It appears that they did not seem to have any compassion for those who had been afflicted and for those who were suffering. That in other words, they, they were, how can we say this? They were indulging themselves with the great benefits of the wealth and prosperity that they were experiencing. And the more they indulge themselves, the more uncaring they become to those who are afflicted. That seems to be, maybe there should be a principle taken from that, but he claims that they lost everything because they held on to it too tightly, even though the verse does not say that any way, shape, or form, All right? Let's, I'm going to go back and we're going to work a little bit through this. And at least see what how Charles Stanley tries to, I guess, prove this point. Maybe we'll get a little bit of context of Amos six, or maybe in some of some other things in the chapter, and we'll just see if if we can get if we can get anything from this. I'm going to do everything in my power to ensure that you get something from this. And as, and again, I want you, I, I I oh, I'm torn in what to do here. All right, let, let, okay, let me do this. Let me do this. Because, because I want you to get something from this. But at the same time, there's a danger here. So there's a danger here. So you got you to follow me. We have a principle given to us by Charles Stanley, who's been preaching for over 50 years. I know I disagree with his theology, but obviously he, he's been preaching for over 50 years. He gives us a principle and he connects it to a scripture. And clearly the principle and the scripture are in conflict. Now, immediately, that should tell us, don't connect the two. And I agree with that. I don't want this to come across like I'm going to sit here and struggle, like I struggled over, struggle over the saying, you know, that that this does not fit in any shape, in any way, shape, or form. I wanted to demonstrate in that struggle of trying to come up with the right phrase that we can find ourselves struggling to make something fit where it doesn't fit. And that can be a problem in your own personal Bible study. Sometimes you have an idea, you have a concept, and you see it, and even though it doesn't fit in any way, shape, or form, you try to make it work. You struggle over it. You try to make it fit. You try to make it fit. And when you have to try to make something fit, no matter how eloquent you or how elegant you think it is, how perfect you think it may be, how wonderful it may be, how good of a sermon it may preach. Once you realize you're you're struggling to make it work, that's got to be a red sign in your Bible study and your biblical interpretation. That's a red a red flag going, whoa, 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 back off, back up, back up, back up. This is not working because if it doesn't fit and you have to struggle to make it fit, That's the lesson you should get from this. Don't struggle to make something fit. If it doesn't fit, you've got to back away from that principle. And so many times in preaching, you got to hear what I'm going to say. So many times in principle and preaching, having the principle, having the point for our outline. Okay, uh, I need a point number three. Having that really cool saying or something that sounds really spiritual, having that real powerful point that you can put up on the PowerPoint slide or that real powerful point that you can put in the church bulletin. Sometimes having a very spiritually sounding point is more of the goal than being accurate with the text. And so many cases, the point is so, this is what can happen when you listen to preaching. The point sounds so good. It's catchy. It's clever. It seems spiritual. The point is so well-spoken. It's so eloquently put forth that you are blinded by the point from seeing the text. Like it sounds good. Anything you hold to uh, anything you hold too tightly, you will lose. That may sound good. And you may say, "Well, amen," because I know people hold on to these things, hold on to things in this world too much, and that's why they lose it. It sounds good. You even may want to recite it. You may even want to preach it, but just because a point sounds good, just because it it seems so perfect, it can literally blind you 
from seeing what the text actually says. And it's very frustrating when someone comes to you and go, oh, you've got to hear this sermon. It's so amazing. This sermon was life-changing. It was the greatest sermon I've ever heard. And you're like, oh boy, here we go. So you start listening and you're like, man, that speaker, he did not, he did not stumble over his words one time. It was powerful. It was powerful. He had right cadence. He had right inflection. He knew when to raise his voice. He knew when to lower his voice. He knew how to give these illustrations. He had me on the edge of his seat, on the seat. He, I mean, these points were so good. These points were so spiritual. It was a, and you're, and you can, you can see why so many people would be drawn to it. But then you start looking at it going, wait a minute, wait a minute. That doesn't really fit that scripture. It may sound good, but it doesn't really fit. It doesn't, and that's what you always, that's the easiest way to find yourself being biblically deceived is where the the point given doesn't fit the scripture that's supposed to be where the concept comes from or the thing that's supposed to prove it. Here we have a, a principle that when we read the scripture, the scripture literally doesn't say anything what this principle claims. The principle claims if you hold on to something too tightly, you're going to lose it. The scripture says, no, these individuals had, they had, they had, they were very prosperous. They had plenty. They were indulging themselves, but they had no, in fact, the way it reads, I'm going to read it uh, again. Amos chapter six. Um, ver- but they did not grieve over the ruin of Joseph. Uh, Amos chapter six, verse six. They did not grieve over the ruin of Joseph. They did not grieve over the affliction of Joseph. So they were indulging themselves and their great prosperity. They did not grieve over the ruin and the affliction of Joseph. And then they lost things. Okay, well, that doesn't say they were holding on to something too tightly. It was a lack of grieving and compassion for those in affliction. That's what caused it. That's directly opposite to what this principle is claiming. That is what you cannot allow to happen to you in preaching or in a devotional book. I mean, so many times a devotional book and people are like, oh, that's such a good principle. Oh, that's really, let me write that down. Let me, let me write that down. Oh, that, that, that pastor gave me four principles and they, you know, they all start with the same letter. They all rhyme together. Whatever the case may be, it sounds so good. It sounds so spiritual. And then what I always do is like, wait, what's the scripture that supports that principle? And then I'll go look at the scripture. And then sometimes you try to point it out, go, you, you do realize that, that that principle, it's not coming from that scripture. And sometimes people will get offended and say, oh, but you're just being nitpicky. That principle's really good. That's right. That, that really convicted me. That, re- that really helped me spiritually. Okay, but if it, if the claim is it came from a scripture from and it did not come from that scripture, it's it, I don't care how good it is, they mishandled the word of God. And if you ever find yourself having some concept, having some idea, and you're struggling, you're stumbling over yourself to try to make it fit, you're struggling, you're like, I'm going to make this fit in some way, shape, or form, right? Like me struggling saying, and it doesn't fit in any way, shape, or form. You see, I'm really trying to use this to get the point across, right? If I'm saying any way, shape, or firm, form, firm, form, okay, which is it? Which is it? Any way, shape, or form, form, firm, form. And, And I'm struggling saying that. Sometimes we struggle to make something fit when it doesn't. Don't make, don't try to make it fit when it doesn't fit. Look at the text and see what actually fits. And if it doesn't fit in any way, shape, or form, you've got to throw it out. You see, but the principle's good. Then go find another scripture to support that principle. Go find another scripture in which that that actually teaches the principle you think is so good. Okay, this is going completely in a different direction than I thought, but that's okay. That's okay, because this is an example of it. I mean, it's, it's always frustrating. Like, I shouldn't be the one to have to point this out, right? 
Charles Stanley should have known, the people around him should have known, the editors of the book should have known, anyone who's ever picked up this book should have said, that principle on day 19 does not fit Amos chapter 6, verses 6 through 7. In fact, Amos 6 through 7 says something completely opposite to the principle that Charles Stanley put there. There's a complete and utter disconnect. Everyone should be able to admit that. Everyone. That shouldn't be controversial. That's not me being condescending. That's not me being trying to be rude. That's not me trying to claim that I know better or could write a book any better than he can. It's just the hard reality. It does not fit. Come on, say it with me. In any way, shape, or form, it doesn't fit. It doesn't fit. So I'm going to, I'm now, I'm going to, I'm going to do a little play on words here. Remember at the beginning, I asked you, what can you not live without? What can you not live without? Now watch what I'm getting ready to do. What spiritual principles are you holding on to without any actual biblical support? See how I just flipped that? Hey, Charles Stanley wants you to consider, what can you not live without? Because whatever that is, you're probably holding on to it too tightly and you're going to lose it. I want to know what's principles, what scriptural, what, what theological or spiritual principles are you clinging to without zero biblical justification? Now, you may try to claim there's biblical justification, but you're going to be stumbling over your words, trying to make it fit. You're going to be like, oh, I'm going to put this, I'm going to make it work. I'm going to make it work. I'm going to, I'm going to, okay. It doesn't fit in any way, shape or okay, firm form. Okay. It doesn't fit it. Okay. It, okay. It, it, it fits. And then finally you make it work. No, 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 no. If you don't, if it doesn't fit, you've got to say, hmm, all right, set that principle aside. Let me keep being a student of scripture. If I come to scripture and that principle shows back up, then I will reach back over and pick it up. I, I want you to think about that. I, I think the church for a very long time has, there, there's, I think there, within Christianity, there's always within doctrine, within theology, there's some kinds of beliefs, doctrines, ideas that we hold to, and we have little to no actual biblical support. Literally, we have a principle here in a Christian book sold in Christian bookstores used in churches where he gives a principle literally that the scripture does not support. Now, let's set all of that aside. Let's just read a little bit of what he does here to see if he ends up, well, this is his attempt to kind of prove his point. Let's see what he does here. I know we've taken way too long, but that's okay. He asked the question, what can you not live without? What would utterly devastate you if you lost it? Is it a relationship, a possession, or a certain situation in your life? Is it more important to you than God? You need to consider how tight a hold it actually has on you because it could become counterproductive and even dangerous. I'm going to state it this way. I'm going to rewrite this entire book is what I'm going to do. What biblical doctrine, what biblical concept, what biblical, let me state it. Now, I'm going to take the word biblical out of it. What doctrine, what what theological concept, what principle are you clinging to and it has little, none, zero biblical support, and you're holding on to it so tightly that you don't think you can live without it. But in reality, you've had to stumble and, and, and fall over yourself trying to come up with some way to make, to make it fit the scripture. You've done everything in your, no, no, you just don't get it. You just, you just don't see it. I'm like, I, I, think I, I think I see it right here. I think I see it right here. No, no, you don't see anything. You're, you're, you're trying too hard. 
Charles Stanley wants to focus on, no, what are you holding on to tightly? You're going to lose it. And what I want to say is I want you to think about which doctrines or concepts you're holding on to too tightly because you're holding on to them in opposition to the word of God because the word of God does not support it. And you've stumbled over yourself to make it fit. What would you do? This is what they say here. What would you do? Give me one second here. What would you do if God asked you to give it up? Could you obey him? Does the thought of letting it go cause you to feel anxious and out of control? Now, this principle, say this is the situation. There's things here that he's trying to fit with this principle about grabbing on to something too tightly. In other words, something becomes an idol in your life. What would you do if God asked you to give it up? This would be perfect if he gave us a scripture that dealt with idolatry. But he's connecting it. See, the principle, there may be something true in what he is writing, but he's connecting it to a scripture that doesn't teach it. And a lot of Christians, that doesn't bother them. Well, I think the principle is biblical. I think the scripture he gave isn't biblical. Or, or, or I don't think the scripture he gave, gave actually supports the principle, but I believe the principle is spiritual. You need to be worried about why he connected it to a scripture that doesn't support it because it's a mishandling of scripture. It's a mishandling of God's word. So your job is to set aside the principle and then look at the actual scripture and go, but what's, what did that scripture actually say? There's plenty of things he's saying here that is good. It just has nothing to do with Amos chapter 6, verses 6 through 7. Now, maybe it has something to do with Amos chapter 6, verse 1, 2, and 3. Let's see if he can pull this together in any way, shape, or form. He goes on to say, If there is something in your life that could keep you from trusting and honoring the Lord, it is an idol, and God is not going to allow you to keep it in your grasp. Life principle number 19 teaches anything you hold too tightly, you will lose. If you're looking to anything other than God for your sense of acceptance, accomplishment, and security, then you're headed for serious trouble because it will not last. Sooner or later, God will assert his rightful role as the only Lord of your life. So once again, it's like, if you hold on to it too tightly, God's going to get rid of it. Sounds good. Once again, has nothing to do with Amos chapter 6, verses 6 through 7. Let me read it to you again. Amos chapter 6, verses 6 through 7. That drink wine and bowls... And anoint themselves with the chief ointments, but they are not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. Therefore, now shall they go captive with the first that go captive, and the banquet of them that stretch themselves shall be removed. It tells you why they're losing everything. Because they did not grieve over the affliction of Joseph. The text is dogmatic. This has nothing to do with they were clinging to it too tightly. They were trusting in it too much. It was an idol. Those two verses make no claims to what the principle is saying. Even if I agree with some of the things in the book, it's still wrong to connect it to Amos chapter 6, verses 6 through 7. So I want to take this and bring up this. I'm taking his wrong handling it of it to give you a concept, and that is, what are you holding on to? It doesn't fit the scripture in any way, shape, or form, but you're still holding on to it. Are you willing to give that up? And you've stumbled over yourself to make it fit. You've stumbled over yourself to make it fit. Now, here's their attempt to try to pull some from this. They said to read to read Amos chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. So let's go to Amos chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. Amos chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel, and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they, are, because they sold the righteous for silver and the poor for a pair of shoes that pant after the dust of the earth on the head of the poor and turn aside the way of the meek and a man and his father will go in unto the same maid to profane my holy name. And they lay themselves down upon clothes laid to pledge by every altar and they drink the wine of the condemned and the house of their God. Then they ask the question, how was Israel displeasing the Lord? Well, Israel was displeasing the Lord Here's, here's his, the transgressions 
Uh, because they sold the righteous for silver. So they sold righteous people for silver. They, uh, they sold the poor for a pair of shoes. They pant after the dust of the earth and the head of the poor. They turn aside the way of the meek. A man and his father will go in unto the same maid to profane my holy name. They lay themselves down upon the clothes laid to pledge by evening altar, and they drink the wine of the condemned in the house of their God. There's a number of things that they're doing. There is some clear ungodliness happening here. Clear ungodliness. There's some greed. There is some not caring about people. There's some serious sins going on. All right, I, I, that, that, that doesn't really help me with the principle he's given. Okay, he goes on to say, or he goes on to tell us to go to Amos chapter 6. Amos chapter 6, verse 1. Woe to them that are ease in Zion and trust in the mountain of Samaria, which are named chief of the nations to whom the house of Israel came. And it asks this question, what were the Israelites trusting in? They were trusting in the mountains of Samaria. Instead of trusting in God, they were trusting in the mountains of Samaria. What attitude were the people of Israel exhibiting in verses 4 through 5? Well, they lie upon beds of ivory, they stretch themselves upon their couches, and eat the lambs of the flock and the calves out of the midst of the stall. All right? So they chant to the instruments of music like David. They're, they're just... They, their attitudes are they are just stretched themselves out. They are, they are indulging themselves and all of the prosperity that they are experiencing. All right. So they have no compassion for anyone else. They're, they're misusing other people. There's sin. There's, there's just a, a complete like indulging themselves, I guess is the best way to put it. Now, it asks, what do you think the affliction of Joseph was? Look at, um, again, Amos chapter 6. Uh, Amos chapter 6, verse 6. They are not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. What, what is the affliction of Joseph here? They suggest in this study guide, they say uh, to look at Ezekiel 34. They say to look at Ezekiel 34. I don't know if this is going to provide us an actual answer. Ezekiel 34, verses 2 through 4. All right. I'm, well, I'm going to go Ezekiel 34. I'm just going to start in verse 1. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God unto the shepherds, Woe be to the shepherds of Israel that do not feed themselves, uh, that do, I'm sorry, let's read this again. I, uh, Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 2. If I said Isaiah, I apologize. Ezekiel 34, verse 2. Son of man, prophesy against, against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God unto the shepherds, Woe be to the shepherds of Israel that do feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? You eat the fat. You, and, and ye clothe you with the wool. You kill them that are fed, but you feed not the flock. The diseased have you not strengthened, neither have you healed that which was sick, neither have you bound up that which was broken, neither have you brought again uh, that which was driven away, neither have you sought that which was lost, but with force and with cruelty have you ruled them. Now, it seems like they were implying that the affliction of Joseph was that they had these shepherds who were not feeding them, who was not caring for them, and they had fallen into all kinds of problems, and they were not helping them in any way, shape, or form. In fact, these shepherds were actually a curse to them, and that's the affliction. That seems to be the implication being made here in the study guide. And then go back to Amos chapter 6. Go back to Amos chapter 6. Amos chapter 6. And now let's go down to verse 8. All right. We'll go to, we'll go to verse 7. Amos chapter 6, verse 7. Therefore now shall, shall they go ca captive with the first that go captive, and the banquet of them that stretch themselves should be removed. The Lord God had sworn by himself, saith the Lord God of hosts, I abhor 
the excellency of Jacob and hate his palaces. Therefore, will I deliver up the city with all that is in, that is there in. Now they're going to lose things. They are going to lose something. So see, you could you could try to argue. Well, well, this this the text talks about losing something, but they're losing it because of their attitude. Because they're, they're indulging themselves and do not care about those who are afflicted. That's what the text clearly demonstrates. And then it says to go to Psalm chapter 10. Psalm chapter 10. Psalm chapter 10. Psalm chapter 10. This is taking forever, but that's okay. Psalm chapter 10, verse 2. The wicked in his pride doth persecute the poor. Let them be taken in the devices that they have imagined. For the wicked boasteth of his heart's desire and blesseth the covetous whom the Lord abhorreth. The wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. God is in not all his thoughts. So um, God, God hates this about their behavior that they basically, they're just, they don't care. They're prideful, they're arrogant, they, uh, they boast of their heart's desire, they, they, I mean, they don't seek after God, they persecute the poor, they, they, they don't care about anyone else, there's a selfishness, they, they're in, they have great prosperity, they're indulging in said prosperity, and this is creating a situation where they have no compassion and concern for those who do not. And then their punishment, according to Psalm 10, verse 7, his mouth is full of cursing and deceit and fraud under his tongue is mischief and vanity. I don't know how that supposedly, maybe, yeah, I don't know what that, how they're supposed to do anything with that. All right, that's not super helpful. All right, but let's continue. All right, let's continue. Because I got to kind of try to get as far, far as this as we can in this. But once again, no matter how hard we try, no matter how hard we stumble over this, this is not going to fit. The principle Charles Stanley writes does not fit the, all the scripture, all of this stumbling over himself to give us this scripture and this scripture. He can try for 16 hours. He cannot make this fit. I don't care how good this principle sounds. I don't even good how, how, how spiritual you may think it is. It does not fit anything that he has provided. So this is what they ha- the, the book goes on to say. The Israelites were so enamored with their prosperity, they forgot God. They became prideful in their affluence and military victories and believed that they didn't need him anymore. So when God called them to repentance, they refused to obey his commands or let him back into their lives. They, were, they just weren't willing to give up their wealth and ease for him, and it cost them everything. Okay, you could make an argument that in times of great prosperity, we must not allow the prosperity to become an idol. You could, that's a principle you could argue. In times of great prosperity, we have to ensure that the prosperity does not become a form of idolatry. Prosperity can become a form of idolatry. That's a principle we could work with. But he's saying if you hold on to something, if you hold on to something, you're going to lose it. Uh, they, I mean, th- this is just no, the, I, this is so, this one is so frustrating. All right, so what do we do here? What do we do here? What are some things we can do here? Well, I'm going to go back to the original passage, Amos chapter six, right? Amos chapter six. Maybe I can, maybe I can come up with a principle here, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to force anything. I'm not going to force anything. Amos chapter 6, verses 6 through 7. All right? Let's read it again. Amos chapter 6, verses 6 through 7. That drink wine and bowls and anoint themselves with the chief ointments, but they are not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. Therefore, now shall they go captive in the first that go captive, and the banquet of them that stretch themselves shall be removed. I'm going to do this. The problem here is they are not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. 
They're not, they're not, whatever their, this affliction is, they're not grieved about it. If you go back, I think I can demonstrate this from context. You'll see, um, if you, uh, let's see here. Uh, okay, verse four, Amos chapter six, verse four, because I want some kind of context here. Uh, well, verse three, ye that put far away the evil day and cause the seed of violence to come near. Now, that lie upon beds of ivory, stretch themselves upon their couches, eat the lambs out of the flock and the cow- calves out of the midst of the stall. All right, they they are, they they basically chant to the sound of of music. They're just laying around. They've got great prosperity, great prosperity. They drink wine and bowls. They anoint themselves with the chief ointments, but they are not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. Here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to give a principle from this. All right, a principle that comes from the text. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to call this number, this will be number 35. This will be number 35. And we're going to do this. We must not allow prosperity and blessing We must not allow prosperity and blessing lead to a lack of compassion for those suffering affliction. We must not allow prosperity and blessing to uh, to lead to a lack of compassion for those suffering affliction. That that seems to be the actual a principle that actually comes from this text. Hey guys, you're lying around, you've got all this wonderful stuff, you you've got all this great blessing and prosperity, but hey, you don't even care about the affliction of Joseph. You could care less. You you're so indulging in prosperity that it has now led to you to have no compassion for those suffering affliction. All right, let me give you the principle one more time. We must not allow prosperity and blessing to lead to a lack of compassion for those suffering affliction. All the blessings that come into your life, all the prosperity you may have, whatever level of prosperity it may be, you can't allow what you can indulge in, what you can can partake in, what you can celebrate and be happy for. You can't allow it to lead to you to have a lack of compassion to others. You think You think in some ways that the more prosperity one experienced, the more compassionate one would become. But at least in this particular case, that did not happen. So we cannot allow the prosperity to lead us to a lack of compassion for those suffering affliction. That comes directly from Amos 6 through 7, at least as an example of that. I'm not saying that's the way it always works, but at least it has to be addressed right there. It has to be addressed right there. Now, that's the principle, but here's the lesson I want you to take from this. This all started with asking you a question. What can you not live without? And if this was, if we were talking about idolatry, we would pursue that line of reasoning. But I, I flipped that concept. What doctrines... What spiritual ideas, what concepts are you clinging to without any to little actual biblical support? Oh, you think there's biblical support, but you have to stumble over yourself. You have to say, okay, okay, no, 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 no. Don't tell me it doesn't fit in any way, shape, or form. Because it does. It it fits in some way, shape, or form. I will figure it out. I will figure it out. I will stumble. I will stumble over my words to make it happen. And then I gave you kind of a living illustration of that by saying it doesn't fit in any way, shape, or form. Shape, a form, firm, form, firm, form. Stumbled over that as an example of how we stumble to hold on to doctrines and concepts where there really isn't any biblical example. Who was involved in writing this book? Okay, so uh, 
Dr. Stanley, I think he has a doctorate, Charles Stanley, Brother Stanley, Pastor Stanley, whatever term he wants to go by. You have this principle called uh, that you wrote down is anything you hold to tightly, anything you hold too tightly, you will lose. But you give Amos 6, 6 through 7 as the supporting verse. This verse did not say they lost things because they were holding on to it too tightly. They lost it because they had no compassion for those who were afflicted. The text literally says the reason why they lost everything. So do you think we should change this principle? No, nobody, nobody could come to him. Did Charles Stanley, when he came up with the idea, did he not look at Amos 6 and go, that doesn't really fit? That doesn't really fit. That doesn't fit in any way, shape, or, come on, class, come on, say it with me, form. That's the lesson here. That's the lesson. What are you holding on to that doesn't fit? Oh, you're going to tell me it does. You're going to tell me it does. And you'll come up with, you'll, you'll jump through hoops. Look, I will, I will argue we watched this literally take, I'll end this here. We watched this take place in real time in recent church history. Prior to the pandemic, people would open their Bibles and they would read these words. Let everyone submit to the gov- governing authorities since there is no authority except from God and the authority that exists are instituted by God. So then the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command and those who oppose it will, be, will bring judgment on themselves. What well, tells us to submit to government, right? Tells us to submit to government. And our basic understanding is we always, we do everything in our power to submit to government unless we are specifically forbidden from obeying God or we're told to do something that goes directly against what God tells us to do. It's got to be very specific and it's got to be very clear. But but then all of a sudden we start, well, no, Romans 13 doesn't really say that. It, no, we only obey if the government is righteous. If the government, the, we only obey the right kind of government. Well, this government is not right, so we don't have to obey anything they tell us to do when it comes to COVID. We can just reject all of it. But you're like, but wait a minute, wait a minute. They're, they're saying you can have church. You can have church Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. They're just telling you you have to reduce the number of people who are there at any one given time. You have to wear a mask. You have to social distance. They're not, they're not, they're not stopping you. Now, I know in some cases it was different, but I'm saying that, that and people, nope, we're not going to follow one rule. And in many cases, they wouldn't even go back to the, govern, the governing authorities and say, wait a minute, you're saying we can't do anything. We can, we, look, that's, we're at an impasse here, all right? You tell us what we, you, if you're going to say we can't do anything, we're going to have to disobey in some way, shape, or form, but this is what we are willing to do. We're willing to do this. 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 We're willing to do all of this because the worship of God and church is more important to us. We're willing to make sacrifices. We're willing to do everything in our power, but, we're, but, but no, 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 no. It became just, hey, Romans 13, now they started stumbling over it, and, we're, and they're going to make their, their idea fit it any way, shape, or form. No matter what they had to do, they, their idea now fit Romans. Romans 13, that would typically been used to go against their idea, now magically Romans 13 fit their idea, even though the seemed, two seemed to be in clear contradiction. And if you, if you tried to preach the way Romans 13 was understood just prior, like three days before the pandemic, all of a sudden, nope, 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 you don't understand Romans 13. I'm like, well, I've got your previous sermons on Romans 13. And you used to say this. Well, now I don't say that. Well, why? Because now you've come up against something you don't like. So you make it fit in any way, shape, or form. Charles Stanley made this fit in any way, shape, or form, and it doesn't fit. Okay. I I told you some of these are not going to be very, I I, I feel really bad about this one, but I told you that some of them are going to go bad, and this one, this one is just a train wreck. This, all right, newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. I don't think 
I don't think I've received any comments, so let me verify here. I'm going to turn the volume down. I'm going to turn the volume down here, and I'm going to open up the Spreaker app just really quick because sometimes it doesn't show up on my um, computer. That did not work. Let's see here. Here we go. Nope. No comments. Okay. It's probably a bad sign. That's, that's usually a really ba- bad sign. All right. I'll stop there. You can email me, newsif at yahoo.com. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a wonderful I- evening. And if you have any thoughts on any anything that I tried to do here, maybe I tried to be a little too clever. Maybe I tried to be... Maybe I tried to be, to be a little too clever and ended up hurting the flow of this. But remember, we're trying to work through these in real time. So they're not always going to be perfect. But I mean, I had to do everything in my power to try to come up with some concept here because you, I mean, we saw right from the beginning, his principle did not fit that scripture. So then I was left to figure out what to do to get something out of this study. So, but that's the whole reason we're doing this. All right. Thanks for listening. God bless.